Hi everyone, this is Catherine with Decoding Seafood and today we're thrilled to have Isaiah Robinson here, elected counselor for the Kitasu Haihai Nation and general manager of the Kitasu Development Corporation. Hey Isaiah, how you doing? Hi Catherine, thank you for inviting me. Um, like you said, my name is Isaiah Robinson uh, and uh, yeah, no, it's a pleasure to, to have this opportunity to, to meet you and have these discussions. Well, we definitely appreciate it. I, I, I want to thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today, because I know there are probably a million things that you're dealing with. But to start things off, can you tell people a little bit about yourself? Well, my name is Isaiah Robinson. I've, I've been living in Clem, too. I, I'm a Kittisu Heihase member, um, but I've actually moved here probably seven years ago now. And so uh, I have had a, many facets within my community, but now, right now I sit as the general manager for our development corporation and elected counselor. So I, I have uh, quite a vast knowledge of the overall community's infrastructure and all those other stuff. But yeah, so I have a good amount of experience in, in um, governance and, and overall uh, policy for Indigenous communities uh, when it comes to infrastructure and, and governance. Well, that's that's actually really interesting. So you said... So you talked about the First Nations and also about Kitasu, but I know there's a the majority of our listeners probably don't know anything about it. Um, from what I've been able to look at, you know, it's a beautiful community that lives in the heart of the Great Bear Rainforest in British Columbia. And how can you tell people a little bit about where you're from and what it's like up there? Yeah, so Kitasu Heihase or, or Klemtu, the town the town named Klemtu is, is located on the central coast of BC and um we're in the heart of the Great Bear Rainforest. And so with that, we got grizzly bears uh, roaming the coast uh, and, and kermode bears or spirit bears as, as they're well known. And some humpback whales and killer whales and, and salmon that are really prevalent. And um, it's primarily a bread bas basket of the coast. And it's one of the most um, well-protected areas on the over overall coast of British Columbia and probably Canada too. How long has that community been there? Oh well, it originally Kittisu or the, the the area or the town was actually, um, if I if I recall correctly, it was a trading area. Uh, lots of people actually utilize this area primarily because uh, lack of uh, if there was a storm in this area, you were able to to dock and there wouldn't be as as much uh, issues with waves and stuff like that. So Clemtu's been a, a, a traditional area for for business and also. For, for a safe haven during weather for quite some time, but probably in the, the late 1800s was is, was formally uh, made into to Klemtu and is, it has been a place uh, that has been uh, has been resided by both the Kitasu people and the Heihais people. So you, when you hear us say Kitasu Heihais, it's, it's not one person. Uh, it's actually two groups of, of na uh, tribes or nations that have been combined by uh, the indigenous or, or the um, Indian agents in the early late 1800s. So our people are, are two people and now one basically that live in Clem too. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you, so the Kittisu and, and Hayes Nation, they're part of the First Nations or, and, or how exactly does that, how does that all fit together? So the Kittisuhe's people are, are, are indigenous people of Canada. And so the, the overarching, um, basically when it comes to, to indigenous peoples, we, we are, we are members of, of, we are, we are recognized under the Indian act. And so we represent those indigenous people of, of Canada. Ah, okay. So that makes a lot of sense. 
I can tell that it's a community that is deeply steeped in history and and from what I've been able to read, the love of the land. And closely tied into this community, obviously, is your relationship with fishing and with salmon. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of fishing and salmon um, for the community? Yeah, no, no, for sure. When it comes to salmon, those when when, when you talk to elders in our community, you you hear um, hear stories of preservation and 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 uh, preserving and and all those things. And so when you when you hear those discussions and you look back into our history, salmon has been the largest uh, protein that our people. Have, have consistently eaten or, or just overall aquaculture uh, or, or wild stock in general. You know, we, we really, that was our livelihoods. That's what we ate through the wintertime, salted fish or, or um, smoked fish. So, you know, when it comes to those earlier uh, days of our people, those that has been the foundation. If we're talking about colonial times within the last 200 years, um, you know, salmon has even been more of a bigger impact and been more of a, a livelihood for our people. Um, and so, you know, within the last hundred years, we've, we've done the whole thing. We've, we've canned fish. And so, you know, during the early uh, 1900s, uh, 1900s, we have J.H. Todd's and Sons, which was a, one of the largest um, processing uh, fish, fish companies um, during that time. And so they had a, they had a canning facility right in Clem too. And so that was one of our largest, um, the big, our biggest employment at that time. And we had high employment because of that 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 industry so commercial fishing um was a big part canning those those commercially caught fish was was another large part and so um that that happened we we were steady in that until 1969 when that commercial fishery collapsed and so from then on uh, we didn't have any large employment rates um uh and it, it wasn't until probably the, the late 80s is when we finally got um back into to business in regards to having high employment rate. And that was really based off of our, our current partnership with um, from Nutricro to Marine Harvest in Moe, Canada. Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, one of the things that I, I really hear that resonates with you is, is, you know, preservation of the land and the respect for the for the land that you have there. You know, and, and kind of curious, and I think aquaculture kind of fits into that into that thought. But I wanted to understand, like, what what does aquaculture mean for you and your people, and 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 the principle of sustainability? You know, how how did those values align with uh, the First Nations community? Well, when you look at our, our history, and you you can see that aquaculture is not something new for us. Um, I look outside, and I can see fish traps from from our previous. From our ancestors that that have that did that type of aquaculture, not to the extent that we're doing now, but aquaculture is is such an important part and and has been. You know, our people always knew when when things are happening. We're having a spawn on kelp right now, right? And so, we we do that in a way that's sustainable. It's not a kill fishery, and so the overall management of our our resources is is our utmost priority um, because it's not we're not looking after it for ourselves. We're looking at after it for a future generation. Seven generations is something that, that is really important. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard that perspective before. I, I think it's I think it's very fascinating. Um, to kind of delve into the topic a little more, you know, one of the boards that I know you've been working with is the ASC. And, you know, they're one of the largest seafood certification organizations out there. 
can you can you tell our audience a little bit about how important it was for you to partner with the ASC or any any sort of certification board and and kind of how that aligns with everything that that is meaningful to you yeah so like I said our our foundation of of doing business is it we need we need our resources to last we need our territory to be um managed well and so you know when when we have these opportunities to have different um regulatory or or, or um, perspectives that that are able to help improve um the overall management of of our partners uh situation and even ours our overall territory it's all a bonus it's it's a good, it's a benefit for everybody because it's you know we're doing what's best for our our future generations so it's those those types of qualities and and standards are are you know they're really really appreciated and and so it's it's so important that we have those those opportunities to meet those milestones and and have those and celebrate those things because it's not it's not easy to get those milestones either right you know i know some of the companies and organizations that you've partnered with you know they're i think that they've been beneficial in terms of both the economics and the the value added that they bring you know they they, they bring for you um and one of the things I was kind of curious about is what what organizations do you have partnerships with, and and how has the symbiotic relationship kind of both helped sustain really help sustain the community there? Our relationship is is honestly one of the most important things to us, in my perspective, as is, is an elected leadership with Moe. Um, when it comes down to it, and I and I hear my elders, and I hear fellow council members talk about the history and like, and like I said the the commercial industry ended in 1969 and between then and the late 80s we had nothing I don't know if anybody like I said we live on the coast of, of, of BC and if, if you look up Clem 2 we have very little access in general so when when we hit that depression we felt it families felt it and so we had some of the most uh, traumatic things happen in this community because there was nothing to do. And, you know, that really feeds into long-term effects. You know, that affects even our generations today. Um, you know, so we had, we, we were prevalent with alcoholism. We were prevalent with suicides. That was, that was just rampant. And so it was really a, a dark time for our community. And so that, and that's because, like I said, there's just nothing to do. Um, there was no employment. There's very few jobs. And if it was, you know, it was, it was full-time. And it's hard to get, there's not high turnover on when there's, when those jobs are fixed. So when we got into this partnership with Moe and our agreement is primarily based on employment. We want our people to have jobs. And so right now we're one of the largest, uh, or we are, we have 99% of our, uh, of our community is employed. And so we have the highest employment rate in, in on the coast of British Columbia. Wow. So it's, it's not, it, it's such a, it's not easy to get that. And so it's, you know, that just shows though. We are at capacity also. We need more people in community. Um, and so it's, it's, it's such a, it's, it's, it's so great. We're at 99%. We need to keep growing. Um, mm -hmm. it's, that's really, um, it's a, it's a, such a hard thing to get though. And it's even more so difficult when the current political situation we're facing right now. Well, I'm going to pay back on what you said, and I'm just kind of curious, what are the challenges that you're facing politically with making that come to fruition? Well, it, it's generally just. The minister, we've we've made our arguments, and this overall transition plan is is really none of us know. 
what what's what's going to come really come to fruition. So it's it's such a uh, it's a time where we have, uh, of course, assurance. Like when it comes down to it, um, Indigenous people, uh, and there's been many situations that have been proven in the courts that we have rights, even we even within our own economic situation. So. Um, you know, that the overall situation is just uh, political. Um, it's more of a political situation that is 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 benefiting votes and stuff like that, in my perspective, than than the overall people that will be affected by uh, whatever the government has decides in the end. Mm, I understand. Well, one of the things that I wanted to touch on is, and you and you kind of mentioned this was that you talked about you know, salmon, and you talked about other species. But I'm curious, in addition to practicing aquaculture for, for raising salmon, what other what other species do you farm there? So we, we don't really farm any other products yet. Like we, we've, we've done some pilots in it before. I know that they've done some shellfish. Right now I, we're piloting some kelp, um, kelp, some kelp opportunities too. But so primarily though... Um, We've done purely Atlantic salmon, and so um, we 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 will venture to these other things. But uh, you know, it, it has to be it has to make economic sense to us, and it has to have benefit for um, you know the partner, but also our people, right? And so you know, it need, there needs to be employment is so important to, to keep our people happy and busy. I couldn't agree more on that. I mean, it sounds like you've definitely made progress from back in the eighties and we can only hope that we can keep moving in the right direction with that. Uh, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to ask you to describe to somebody how salmon farming is done. If somebody has never been to a salmon farm or watched a video on it, can you just kind of walk them through the process from getting a, a basic little salmon egg to, to me getting my salmon in my house? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, no, no, it's it's yeah. So when it comes down to to the overall um, the growth and development of these Atlantic salmon's, they're they're grown and raised on either Vancouver Island or on the coast of BC, and they're then relocated to to their sites. And so generally, um, they're they're all really thoroughly tested. There's no um, the salmon that are coming here; they're coming from freshwater directly to our territory. And so from then on, um, they, they live out probably, I think it's about 18 months within our territory and then they get shipped off, um, depending on what they happen. Like, like there is climb to spirits. And so either fish go out to, to, uh, support North America and in, in the raw fillet situation, or they come, they come back to climb to, uh, and they get smoked and then they're distributed across, uh, Canada and, and soon to be North America or, or America too. Right, because right now your Clem Two Spirit is only in Canada, right? That, that's right. So since we brought up Clem Two Spirit, tell me a little bit about it. You know what, what, what's unique about it? Why, if I was in Canada, why would that be a product that I would want to to pick up and purchase for my family? Well, it's it's one of a kind product. There's no other product like Clem Two Spirits on the market right now. Um, it's a completely indigenous. Like it comes, uh, it's. All our people touch that fish. It's it's our people extremely care about the product that they're making, um, and so you know, like I said earlier, we've we've gone from canning fish in the early 1900s to processing raw fish uh, in the uh, from the 80s to the the late uh, 2010s, and to now smoking fish. And so you know, our people 
there's multi-generations that are working in there. I have elders in there that are 80 years old working in that and it's working in there smoking. And they were they were processing fish, canning fish in the early 1900s, probably the, the late 30s and stuff like that. So the amount of, um, or the late 40s, sorry. So there's there's the amount of, of interaction, the amount of passion our people have towards this product uh, is is so appreciated and it's it's so visible and it's it makes me so happy to see that they enjoy what what they get to do and it's uh, when it comes down to it um you know these these people really take pride in this product that they're they're able to provide this protein that they're able to provide uh, uh canada and soon to be the u.s i i have to say Isaiah, i really i really appreciate the honesty and like the genuineness with, with which you talk about it because you know we know that Indigenous people have been carefully smoking salmon way before a lot of us have. And I can tell that this care has been passed down in the brand. And it's something that we'd want to see moving forward. Um, looking to the future a little bit, where do you see the salmon fishing industry in Klemtu? Like, what would you what would you like to see? Where would you like to see it in 2033? When it comes down to it, I think... With the discussions we're having with our partners, innovation is super crucial, I think. And so how can we innovate this industry um, to deal with the critics and, and the other issues we may be facing politically? So, you know, I think we're on a good trajectory right now. Uh, the partnership we have is phenomenal. Uh, the people we have supporting is great. Um, and so it's just we, we need to continue um, evolving and growing. You know, we look at industries that are, that are struggling. We look at forestry. In, in BC, and, and they have not evolved the process or anything like that in years. It's just very antiquated. It's still the same thing. They have changed. You know, there, there of course, there are issues with wild stock that could be a, that could be connected to, to forestry, right? And so, um, but you, you, however, you look at other industries, like mining, has anything really changed there drastically? And then you look at aquaculture, and you look at something like MOE uh, or Greek or CERMAC, and the, the amount of evolution that they've had the endeavor over the last probably 15 to, to 10 years is drastic. You know, when I was a young boy and I went out to the farms, they used to have to, they were, they were throwing pellets out manually by hand. And now I have people do manually or uh, feeding fish in community that's, you know, 30 kilometers away from the actual site or something like that. So it's the evolution that has happened is drastic and it's, it's really, it's, it's shown, it's showing success. And it's really important that some, we continue on that trajectory trajectory of, of evolution when it comes to industries like this. I I, th I think that's a very valid point. Let me let me ask you. You know, we're getting we're getting to the end of our interview, so I only have a couple more questions for you. But I I wanted to know, like, what would be your your final thought or your one nugget if somebody was listening to their, this podcast and you wanted them to just kind of take one nugget away from it, what would that be? Oh, that is, that is a good question. I, I think one of the main things, like we did a, we did a, um, a science um, panel in our community in January. And so the first panel person we had there, his name was Dr. Dick Beamish. And he, he basically said, there are more, there are more Pacific salmon in the ocean than ever before. And so you have to think about that. Where are they? Why are they there? And the, when he, at the end of that presentation, he said, it's climate change. 
And so for me, I think, you know, we, we hear critics talking about the industry being a cause of whatever issues that may be affecting the environment. Uh, and, and, but the overall big picture thing for me is climate change is real. It's affecting the overall environment. As an Indigenous person, we know that. You know, my ancestors, my grandparents, they, they've talked about the stock and, and how drastic it's reduced and the temperatures. And so for me, climate change, there needs to be more focus on that. And there needs to be more alarm bells because if there's more Atlantic salmon, or if there's more Pacific salmon in the, in the in the ocean, there's issues, and so we need to figure out if, if that's always a complaint. There's not enough Pacific salmon, but there's actually more in the ocean than ever. There's definitely a problem that we need to start addressing uh, as as a country, as a province, as an Indigenous people, and we need to start acknowledging that there's there's bigger issues that need to start being dealt with. I think that was very very well put. Um, I want to sincerely thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I personally enjoyed the interview. I could actually sit here and probably do another one with you because I feel that there's so many more things that we could we could kind of delve into and I think that people would be interested in. If if people wanted to find out more about First Nations, Klemtu, Klemtu Spirit, Kidasu, the High Heist, if, where would they find all this information? Uh, you can look us up at uh, Kittisu Hayes Nation um, on, on Facebook. You can look up Pumtu.com uh, on, on, on your search engine, or you can look up the Kittisu Development Corporation. We have tons of content coming out. Uh, we have tons of educational stuff, even regarding, Atlanta, uh, even regarding fish farms. So if you have questions, you want, if you have a burning desire or, or, or want to have a third, further understanding of maybe the market or climate change or anything in regards to fish farms, we have content out there that's We'll be able to help educate you and, and provide clarity and hopefully give you some reassurance. But yeah, that's you can find us on the web at femtu.com or Kitasu Hayes Nation. Perfect. Thank you again, Isaiah, for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot of people that are looking into getting more information on this topic. Thanks, Catherine.